0: Spoken Word. Half an hour of poetry and performance. Your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene. The voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. Rally the ranks into a march. Now's no time to quibble or browse their silence, you orators. You have the floor, comrade Mauser. Enough of living by laws that Adam and Eve have left. Hustle old history's horse. Left, left, left. Ahoy, blue jackets, cross the sky moats, beyond the oceans, unless Your battleships on the roads, blunted their keels fighting keenness, Bearing the teeth of his crown, let the line of Britain wine gale heft, The commune can never go down, left, left, left. There, beyond sorrow's peak, sunlit lands uncharted, against hunger, against plague's dark seas, the marching of millions has started. Let armies of hirelings ambush us, streaming coal-steel through every rift. L'Entente can't conquer the Russians. Left, left, left. Does the eye of the eagle fade? Shall we stare back to the old? Proletarian fingers, the throat of the world, still tighter hold. Chests out, shoulders straight, stick to the sky-red flags adrift. Who's marching there with the right? Left, left, left. That was Left March, a pretty stirring poem by Vladimir Mayakovsky, who witnessed the Russian Revolution in Petrograd, In 1917, Mayakovsky dedicated the Left March to the Red Marines in 1918 and recited it at naval theatres with revolutionary sailors for an audience. You're on Community Radio 3CR. This is the Spoken Word Programme, and I am Santo Katsati. And today's programme is devoted to the poetry of Vladimir Vladimirovich Mayakovsky, Russian and Soviet poet and playwright born in 1893. So just to put things into perspective, he was 24 years old at the time of the Russian Revolution. He died in 1930, aged 36. Again, to put it in perspective, By 1930, Stalin had consolidated his power at the head of the Soviet government, a process that was pretty well completed a couple of years earlier after a struggle in the Bolshevik Party following the death of Lenin in 1924. Mayakovsky is remembered mostly as one of the foremost representatives of early 20th century Russian futurism. Today, we are also interested in him given his birth and death dates, as a living, breathing part of the Russian Revolution. Born in a part of the Russian Empire, which is now Georgia, his parents actually were Ukrainian, um, and the first notable thing he did in his life was to take part in a socialist demonstration when he was 14 years old. He did this in the provincial town where he attended school. It turned out That soon afterwards, he moved to Moscow, where he developed a passion for Marxist literature, took part in the activities of the Russian Social Democratic Labour Party, eventually joined the Bolshevik wing of that party. He was imprisoned three times by the Tsar for subversive political activities, and it was during a period of solitary confinement in a prison that he began to write poetry. This combination of politics and art continued after his release from prison because he continued to work in the socialist movement and at the same time attended the Moscow Art School. He became associated with the Russian Futurist Movement. His first published poems appeared in the 1912 Futurist publication with the felicitous title, ''A slap in the face of public taste.'' Given that this was under the brutally autocratic Tsarist regime in Russia, it's not too surprising that someone who would publish a slap in the face of public taste would also be expelled from the Moscow Art School for political activities. His first major poem, A Cloud in Trousers, dealt with love, religion, art and revolution. This was still 1915, the Russian Revolution still hadn't happened, but Mayakovsky was writing in the language of the street and pointedly debunked old-fashioned and conservative views of poetry as idealized romance. As well as that, he addressed the horrors of World War I. So by the time of the Russian Revolution in 1917, what have we got? Um, a cutting-edge modernist artist who was constantly in trouble with the law due to his radical politics, a poet who undermined the complacent, smug romanticism of polite society, a critic of the war, which axiomatically made him anti-patriotic. And then he witnesses the October Revolution, right in its nerve centre, Petrograd. Events of such magnitude witnessed at such close proximity can leave one with no room for doubt. You're either for or against... And from then on, Mayakovsky is unquestionably a socialist revolutionary of the type that would perform Left March, which you heard me do at the start, for revolutionary fighters around Russia. So in the early years of the Soviet Union, we find him working for the Russian State Telegraph Agency, creating satirical agitational posters, both graphic and text. In such a situation, he became quite popular He was a prominent member of the Left Art Front and described his work as communist futurism. But he was not happy with the turn of events in Russia as Stalin gained ascendancy. In 1929-30, he wrote two plays critical of Soviet philistinism and bureaucracy and therefore, by implication, also critical of Stalin. He suicided in 1930 and was in fact attacked in the Soviet press as a formalist, which under Stalin is pretty close to a death sentence for artists uh, who are expected to tow a crude Stalinist, socialist, realist line to be officially recognized as a proletarian poet. I'll read the beginning of Mayakovsky's A Cloud in Trousers, where he basically sets out his attitude to conventional poetry. Your thought? Fantasising on a sodden brain Like a bloated lackey on a greasy couch sprawling With my heart's bloody tatters I'll mock it again Until I'm contempt I'll be ruthless and galling There's no grandfatherly fondness in me There are no grey hairs in my soul Shaking the world with my voice and grinning I pass you by, handsome twenty-two-year-old Gentle souls, you play your love on the violin Crude ones beat it out on the drums violently. But can you turn yourselves inside out, like me, and become just two lips entirely? Come and learn, you decorous bureaucrats of angelic leagues. Step out of those cambric drawing rooms. And you, who can leaf your lips like a cook leafs the pages of her recipe books. If you wish, I'll rage on raw meat like a vandal or change into hues that the sunrise arouses. If you wish, I can be irreproachably gentle, not a man, but a cloud in trousers. I refuse to believe in nice blossoming. I will glorify you regardless. Men, crumpled like bedsheets in hospitals, and women, battered like overused proverbs. (laughs) Pretty sharp, cynical critique of convention there from Mayakovsky, whose poetry we heard just before that musical excerpt, and uh, also similar critique of convention from the roughly contemporaneous Shostakovich, the beginning of his first piano sonata. You're on 3CR, this is Spoken Word, and today's program presents the poetry of Russian futurist and socialist Vladimir Mayakovsky. Now, the irony is that by 1935, with Mayakovsky safely dead along with any hope for the workers' movement in Russia, Stalin proclaimed Mayakovsky the best and most talented poet of our Soviet epoch. So, having driven the poet to suicide, Stalin was able to appropriate this progressive revolutionary artist for his cliched panoply of splendid self-glorification of his brutal authoritarian and mass-murdering regime. As Boris Pasternak said, this official Stalinist canonization dealt Mayakovsky a second death. So, I hate Stalin and everything he did, but what do I think about the Russian revolution? Well, as a revolutionary socialist, I see this event as the highest point in human history so far. But I also acknowledge that whatever gains were made by the revolution were completely wiped out by the time Stalin consolidated his power in the late 1920s. And thus, everything after that had an unequivocally counter-revolutionary dynamic. So, just to make it clear... I don't look to anything that happened in Russia after 1930 as in any way revolutionary or on the path to socialism or a better world. The regime in Russia before the revolution was an extremely autocratic one, headed by the Tsar, who had no interest in any kind of democracy and made only grudging concessions to the growing capitalist class in what was mostly a backward rural country. These capitalists were certainly pleased to see the overthrow of the Tsar in the February Revolution of 1917, which they hoped would allow them to operate their business interests more freely. But, of course, their workers had been a big part of that revolution, and after such revolutionary success they wondered whether maybe a more favourable outcome for the working class might not result from the whole process. So on the revolutionary left, there were vital debates about the nature of the revolution. Uh, Would it be a bourgeois revolution bringing in bourgeois democracy as everyone had assumed for such a country where the working class was a small minority? Uh, Or could workers take power to construct a socialist society with workers' democracy through workers' councils? The thing was that the capitalists being so scared of the potential workers' power, in the end would rather side with the old Tsarist forces than allow a workers' revolution that would abolish their profits – And so it was that Trotsky came up with the theory of permanent revolution, the idea that the bourgeois revolution would continue and spill over into a workers' revolution on the condition that workers taking power in such a backward country as Russia needed to spread the revolution to the advanced countries of Western Europe if sufficient material resources were to be available to really construct this society of equality for all. So... That was the theoretical underpinning to what was a conscious mass working-class event, the October Revolution, whereby through workers' democracy and decidedly not a coup, as bourgeois historians would have us believe, the workers of Russia took power. And it's important that this revolution was led by workers because it's only the working-class that has the structural ability to combine at the point of production to make things happen – This is why a number of dissident artists and intellectuals in Sarastrasia, most of the middle class, were one to supporting the October Revolution because they could see where the potential power to transform society was. In the early years of the Revolution, there was a great cultural opening up of society as well as many great social gains. I don't have time to go through them, but what was clear was that the openness extended to experimentation in the arts which was very much encouraged and very much took place between 1917 and 1930. It was possible for an unconventional artist such as Mayakovsky to innovate and for such innovation to still be totally in keeping with the ideals of the revolution. On the other hand, under Stalin, after 1930, artistic innovation was punished and artistic policy dictated as a dry, moribund and totally phony socialist realism. Well, we've mentioned Trotsky, yeah, and we've mentioned Stalin, boo, uh, and now it's time to bring in Lenin. This rather reflective poem by Mayakovsky is called Conversation with Comrade Lenin. A whirl with events, packed with jobs, one too many, the day slowly sinks as the night shadows fall there are two in the room i and lenin a photograph on the whiteness of wall the stubble slides upward above his lip as his mouth jerks open in speech the tense creases of brow hold thought in their grip immense brow matched by thought immense a forest of flags Raised up hands thick as grass. Thousands are marching beneath him. Transported, alight with joy, I rise from my place, eager to see him, hail him, report to him. Comrade Lenin, I report to you, not a dictate of office, the heart's prompting alone. This hellish work. That we're out to do, will be done, and is already being done. We feed and we clothe, and give light to the needy, The quotas for coal and for iron fulfill. But there is any amount of bleeding, Muck and rubbish around us still. Without you there's many have got out of hand, All the sparring and squabbling does one in. They're scum in plenty hounding our land outside the borders and also within. Try to count em and tab and it's no go. There's all kinds and they're thick as nettles. Kulaks Red tapists and down the row, drunkards, sectarians, lick spittles. They strut around proudly as peacocks, badges and fountain pens, studding their chests. We'll lick the lot of em, but to lick em is no easy job at the very best. On snow-covered lands and on stubbly fields, in smoky plants and on factory sites... With you in our hearts, Comrade Lennon, we build, we think, we breathe, we live, and we fight. A whirl with events, packed with jobs one too many, the day slowly sinks as the night shadows fall. There are two in the room, I and Lennon. A photograph on the whiteness of wall. This is the spoken word program presented to you today by Santo Katsati. And the focus of the program today is Russian futurist and socialist Vladimir Mayakovsky. All right, enough of this reflective stuff. Now for some action. This is Call to Account, a stirring critique of World War I. Not only stirring, but asking the political questions that can make sense of the barbarity of war. The drum of war thunders and thunders, it calls thrust iron into the living. From every country, slave after slave are thrown onto bayonet steel. For the sake of what? The earth shivers hungry and stripped, mankind is vaporized in a bloodbath, only so someone, somewhere, can get hold of Albania. Human gangs bound in malice. Blow after blow strikes the world only for someone's vessels to pass without charge through the Bosporus. Soon the world won't have a rib intact and its soul will be pulled out and trampled down only for someone to lay their hands on Mesopotamia. Why does a boot crush the earth, fissured and rough? What is above the battle sky? Freedom? God? money. When will you stand to your full height, you giving them your life? When will you hurl a question to their faces? Why are we fighting? And here's a little agitational piece from 1918, after the revolution which ended Russia's participation in that war. It's called An Order to the Art Army and provides a good example of what Mayakovsky thought should be the role of revolutionary artists. Enough of half-penny truths, old trash from your hearts erase, streets for paintbrushes we'll use, our palettes squares with their wide-open space, revolution's days have yet to be sung by the thousand-year book of time, into the streets the crowds among futurists, drummers, masters of rhyme. Mayakovsky chose not to live to see the results of Stalin's hijack of the revolution, What he did see was bad enough, what was to come was so much worse. I will now read his last poem, which was found among his papers after his suicide in 1930. He had used it as an epilogue to his suicide note. Past one o'clock You must have gone to bed The Milky Way streams silver through the night I'm in no hurry. With lightning telegrams, I have no cause to wake or trouble you. And, as they say, the incident is closed. Love's boat has smashed against the daily grind. Now you and I are quits. Why bother then? To balance mutual sorrows, pains and hurts. Behold what quiet settles on the world. Night wraps the sky in tribute from the stars. In hours like these, one rises to address the ages, history, and all creation. Well, that may have been Mayakovsky's last word, but there's no way I shall allow it to be my last word on 3CR Spoken Word. I'm not going to finish... This Mayakovsky program with a poem, at least this is formally not a poem, although I think it is highly poetic, and it's also highly revolutionary. I'm going to read excerpts from the LEF program, a manifesto written mostly by Mayakovsky with other artists in 1923. LEF, L-E-F, was the acronym for the Left Front of the Arts, which sought to link the socialist revolution with the artistic avant-garde. So here we go. What is left fighting for? The year? 1905. After it? Reaction. Reaction settled in with autocracy and the double oppression of the merchant and the factory owner. Reaction created art and life in its own image and according to its own taste. Symbolists, mystics, psychopaths, the life of the petty bourgeois and philistines. The revolutionary party smashed their lives. Art rose up and smashed their taste. The first book of the Union of Futurists was a slap in the face of public taste. The old order made a correct assessment of the laboratory work of these tomorrow's dynamiters. The futurists were greeted with censorship, beheadings, prohibitions on performances, the barking and howling of the entire press. The capitalist, of course, was never a patron of our whipping lines, our splinter strokes. Encircled by a parochial lifestyle, the futurists were forced to engage in mockery with yellow blouses and painted faces. The futurists, drowning out the sabre-rattling of the war singers, were the first and only ones in Russian art to curse war and to fight against it using all the weapons of art. The war commanded that we see the future revolution. The February revolution deepened the purge, splitting futurism into a right and a left. The rightists became echoes of the charms of bourgeois democracy. The leftists, waiting for October, were christened Bolsheviks of art. October taught through work. We produced the first real works of art of the October epoch. Tatlin Monument to the Third International. Meyerhold's Staging of Mystery Booth. We did not indulge in aesthetics, producing works for our own pride. The experience which we had attained was put to use, creating agitational artistic works which the revolution demanded. To agitate for our ideas, we organised a newspaper, Art of the Commune, as well as a tour of the factories and plants, to stage discussions and readings. Our ideas won over the workers'. LEFT MUST UNITE LEFT FORCES, LEFT MUST TOSS AWAY ANYTHING FROM THE PAST THAT HAS STUCK TO IT, LEFT MUST CREATE A UNITED FRONT TO BLOW UP THE OLD, TO FIGHT FOR THE NEW CULTURE, LEFT SHALL AGITATE THE MASSES WITH OUR ART, CREATING WITHIN THEM AN ORGANIZED FORCE, LEFT SHALL CONFIRM OUR THEORIES WITH ACTIVE ART, RAISING IT TO THE HIGHEST LEVEL OF SKILLED WORK, LEFT SHALL FIGHT FOR THE ART CONSTRUCTION OF LIFE. We shall strike on both sides those who replace the dialectics of a work of art with the metaphysics of prophecy and priesthood. We shall strike on both sides those who replace the poetry of their own houses with the poetry of their own house committees. Now we await only the acknowledgement of the truth of our aesthetic work so that we can joyfully dissolve the small we of art in the great we of communism. Comrades in left, cemented with blood, the USSR stands firm. It is time to undertake the great. Futurists, your services in art are great, but don't think that you can live out your lives on the interest from yesterday's revolutionality. By your work today, demonstrate that your explosion is not the desperate howl of a wounded intelligentsia, but a battle. Work shoulder to shoulder with all who are striving for communism. Constructivists, fear becoming the next aesthetic school. Constructivism as an art alone is zero. The question is about the very existence of art. Constructivism must become the highest formalistic engineering of all life. Constructivism in the production of shepherd pastorals is nonsense. The formal method is the key to the study of art. Every flea line must be taken into account. But beware of catching fleas in a vacuum. Only along a sociologic study of art will your work be not only interesting, but necessary. While teaching the workers, learn from the workers. Your school is the factory. All together. Masters and apprentices in LEF, comrades in LEF, the question of our existence is being decided. LEF is the defence of all creators. LEF is on guard. LEF rejects all those frozen in time, all aesthetes, all acquisitionists. LEF is on guard. On 3CR, this has been the Spoken Word Program. The Spoken Word Program comes to you every Thursday morning between 9 and 9.30 here on 3CR. 855 on the AM dial, and also live-streamed on www.3cr.org.au. We also do podcasts. You can find out more about the live spoken word scene around Melbourne by checking the website melbournespokenword.com. It's just all one big long word in lowercase, melbournespokenword.com. This is the voice of Santo Cazzati signing off and shutting down.